Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I think everyone is always trying to hold you back, especially people who are not really your friends, but maybe in your circles. Most people don't really like to see other people succeed, right? So I know that I love to see people succeed. And I always like try to support people who are doing new things and starting out on their own because I know how nice it is to have even if it's just a couple people supporting you. It's tremendous value to have that. and just pure kindness, right? In the back of your mind, your dreams should be real, right? Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers Podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the pleasure of having Stephanie Saunders with me today. Stephanie, how are things in Florida? Things are good. Hi, Jerome. Thank you for having me. We are not going through crazy COVID stuff like it was being reported. I think we're all in the same boat now, <laughs> so it's okay. Are you in South Florida? Like I am. I'm in Aventura. It's in Miami. Before we get too deep into this, if the listeners want to get in contact with you, what's the best way to do that? I think it's definitely on LinkedIn. I am all about LinkedIn these days. Find me on there, Stephanie Saunders. Awesome. Okay. So now that we got the unimportant stuff out the way, let's dive (laughs) into this thing. So I did find you on LinkedIn and I was like, who is this girl and how did she build such a big following? So you're getting close to 15,000 people that follow you on that platform. But like, how did you get there? Tell me the backstory. I started out when I was in corporate America, I was constantly going to conferences and I was in business development. So when you go to a conference and there's 10,000 attendees at every one, you're going through the attendee list and adding everyone on LinkedIn So when COVID started, I had already had maybe 7,000 connections, but they were all like ghost connections. You know, bankers are not too friendly with the social media, I guess. I started posting every single day because I wasn't able to get out and it was my only way of networking. 
So in like four months, I went from 7,000 to, you know, 12 or 13 or something. So I think it's just engagement, finding active users and posting, posting, posting. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about being in banking and like what you do now, because I feel like you just pivoted and changed industries. I completely changed industries, but it's all in property, you know? So I wanted to go to law school. I took the LSAT and I was looking for an internship at a law firm during a recession. And the only place you could really get a job or an internship was at a foreclosure law firm. And I think originally I wanted to do like personal injury. And like my goal was to eventually represent children in need. It was totally outside of property. So I ended up getting a business development offer before I left to go to law school from an attorney's office who was representing creditors and they were doing their foreclosures, right? So I got into this whole space of bankers who were in control of REO departments and bank-owned property and distressed assets. And I really just climbed that ladder in a short period of time. I think it was, you know, seven years total, but I learned the ins and outs of the distressed market. And I watched the industry kind of pivot from being all about REO to all these funds that were then buying multifamily and retail shopping centers and more of that commercial rental strategy kind of platform. Even the banks were trying to proceed with retaining the properties they knew they would eventually make a profit on, and they would try to create rental strategy. And they would have a whole portfolio where they would build out a property management team. It was interesting, but I left it all behind because it was pretty miserable, right? You were representing the 800 pound gorilla and I really didn't want to continue helping them take back people's homes who took out bad loans. So I had to get out. Okay. So getting out means what? I left completely. So my company at the time was going to be acquired for the third time. And we were going to have a whole new division in place. And I said no. And I declined the new offer from the new group. And I just started on my own. The first thing that I did was I started a consulting company. And I retained the relationships that I had created with those funds who had created this new rental strategy and commercial property. And I also did some note trading and I bought my first multifamily property. It was a nightmare. I definitely dove in. I thought I knew what I was doing because I had all this experience with distressed assets. I had a contact that was, you know, unloading some stuff off market and I bought something in the wrong area I didn't know what it was like to be at the time. It was basically a slumlord and I just couldn't handle it. So I was lucky enough to have a friend who was willing to purchase because they wanted to develop in that area. And I got out really fast, but I would probably seek Jerome's assistance if I was going to be doing that again. So that's it. I started being more independent. And I also started working in public adjusting because they all kind of went together um, doing property damage claims for all these asset managers and commercial property owners. When they have insurance and they have an issue, there is a need for public adjusters. And it was very lucrative and it was very rewarding. I was like an advocate for them when they didn't even know they had an option to have an advocate. 
So what is public adjusting? Yeah. <laughs> Looks like you're a character or something. Talk to me. Said, what is public adjusting? So, okay, when I was in the banking world, I stumbled across public adjusting because I had a client at the time who, you know, do you remember the foreclosure market? Like, do you remember how crazy that was? Yeah, oh eight, oh nine, it was crazy. Yeah, it was a wild time. So, the banks after they would own a property, they would have also this obligation now to maintain the property. So they would call that field services. So if they didn't like unload it on an auction site or auction platform and they didn't have a buyer, they were responsible for cutting the grass. You know, everything had to be kept up, you know, making sure the roof was okay. The vandalism stuff was taken care of. So they didn't really have this field services thing nailed down and they were watching money just leak through. So they're like, okay, we need some way to file insurance claims to understand what's happening, where this money's going. So we don't have to come out of pocket to make repairs. Just like I talked to all of my clients who are multifamily owners, right? Same thing, money leaking. So I was looking for a resource and I found public adjusting. Basically, these guys go out, they do an inspection on the property. If you have an insurance policy, they review your limits, you know, what you're covered for. And they tell you based on the incident that's occurred, whether it be a pipe leak or a wind created opening in your roof or vandalism, they can get you X amount of dollars from your insurance company. And they represent you against your carrier because oftentimes your insurance company will say, hey, you know, we will pay you a thousand dollars. So they don't want to pay out. Right. And then the public adjuster will turn that thousand into more like 10 to 20,000. So I stumbled across it. And then I was like, you know, I have clients in this world. That's what we do. (laughs) So are you originally from the U.S.? I am. Are you trying to figure out where I'm from? (laughs) So I'm actually Irish. Your hair's not red. That's I know. (laughs) And my skin isn't pink and freckly, but my mother is blonde with freckles. So we did a a DNA thing, the genealogy. I think I have, so I'm 50% Irish. I am like 20% English and the rest I am like Armenian. So I think I got mainly the Armenian. It's the dominant. I was like, yeah, she kind of looks like Kim and Kyle. (laughs) You only say that because I have dark hair. That's the only reason. And I have a part in the middle. Bone <laughs> structure of your face. Like well, I have the cheeks. Yeah. And then your eyes too. So I always get asked if I'm some sort of Asian or I think because I live in South Florida, Spanish. Because I don't think I look Spanish, but you know, you never know. I feel like you spend a lot of time on the beach since you're <laughs> I wish. What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. I spent a lot of time helping my clients on Zoom calls and, and on the phone, unfortunately. But I love to be at the beach when I'm not working. <laughs> it's just not very often. 
Wait, there's this thing that you're leaving out. Okay, tell me. Is this the adjusting thing? Who owns that company? So I definitely left that part out. Uh, The owner of the adjusting company is my husband. Okay, so how do you get the courage to tie all of your income for your household to just that one company? Because a lot of people don't think that's the way to go. Very, very interesting question. So, you know, you talk about people leaving corporate America and then having this struggle of identity because maybe they've been in their career for decades, right? And their whole person is tied to this title. I know that I went through that. Even though I had a short time, I was living that. I travel every week. I have all these miles. I have all these perks. You know, I enjoyed it, but I also, it was killing me inside, right? So losing the title when you leave definitely gives you a little bit of a shock. And then you realize after all the numbness wears off that it was just all a bunch of ridiculous nonsense anyway. It's a made up thing, just like having this career in corporate America, you think you have security that's made up too. You're always replaceable, right? So the same is to be said for wanting to be independent as a woman. So I was taught at a very young age to always be independent, never rely on anyone. So when I met my husband, I struggled with the fact that he wants to be a provider. You know, he enjoys taking care of me and he wants to take care of a family one day. And I want to work. I want to have my own thing. I'm independent, right? So it was a huge challenge accepting that I would be willing to work for his company. But the truth is, is that what really sold me was the fact that it all tied in to my former clients and that I was going to be doing something good. And the profit in bringing in those clients was more than I had ever made in corporate America. So it makes sense. It works. I have my own things, you know, investments and I, I dabble in the no trading but it was a huge challenge and adjustment for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of people are like terrified to do that. So for a number of reasons, bucking the trend and going for it, because I mean, it seems like it's working out. And why start over when somebody's already helped create something that's working? I've never understood that. Like, right. like I think about it in a generational wealth sense, like we mm-hmm. all complain about people who have mommy and daddy's money, Mm -hmm. we would love to be in their position. Would you though? I would. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I go into offices where they're second and third generation and they're my age and they don't have to go partner with a stranger. They go partner with daddy for my daughters, right? If they want to go buy a building, she is going to be the one securing the building. (laughs) I hear you. I hear you. But, you know, sometimes it goes the other direction. Like I grew up in a a nice little suburb in South Florida called Weston. And, you know, not to call people out, but I'll say I had a friend whose parents were jewelers and they worked hard for what they had. And they, you know, definitely came from wealthy lines of families. And my friend, who's their son, he could care less about anything. He knew he had everything he needed and he was not motivated to do anything on his own. 
So, you know, I do think that the money makes you more of who you are, right? right. If you're apathetic, if you're lazy, the money's just going to make you more of that. I just really want their floor to be my ceiling. Like for right. me, that's important. <laughs> right, right. I hear you. I hear you. Listen, I didn't come from a wealthy family at all, and my husband didn't either. And I think that's another reason why it was, at the end of the day, an easy decision to make once I got over myself to work with him, is he's self-made. He worked so hard to do what he does. Like, why not add value to what he's doing? Right. So like I worked for everything that I have. I think it makes you happier at the end of the day because you know that everything you have is from your efforts. Yeah, I I do think so. It's just a matter of how far can one generation really go? Like that's the question. It's like, what do you have to do? And building all those relationships from scratch and, you know, you're more bubbly, you're more outgoing, inviting for me, like, we're taught not to smile to people that you don't know because they might take you for being soft or weak versus what a lot of people's you smile so that people do want to come talk to you and you invite them in. And so it's just those different programmings that we have to adjust so that we can thrive in the world. So right. you got over yourself. When did you know that you weren't going to go back and get a job? Listen, I think that I knew I wasn't going to go back and get a job within the first year of leaving corporate, because like I mentioned before, I think you're numb in the beginning. You know, we talked about this before, too. You don't realize how numb you really were from everything you were doing in corporate, because I think most people in corporate and I'm not trying to be rude because I have plenty of friends who are still there. I think you're a sheep and you don't even know you're a sheep. No, because I was a sheep. I was a sheep and I didn't even know that I was a sheep, right? So I literally would get up every day, get on a plane, pack my suitcase, come home, do the work. I was just their worker, workhorse. So I think it took a little while because you don't have that time to reflect when you're running, going, 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 doing everything for them. And then, you know, a little bit of time off, I'm like, okay, I can never go back there again, ever. Was there? specific event or moment where you like, I know I'm never going back. I call it the red pill moment. So, and I hate to say it this way, but I think it was when I made my first commission before I was working for my husband, I had a a large uh, developer client and they're an owner holder. Uh, They, they build like all over the U S in Texas, they had an issue with one of their properties and they were like, listen, you know, I need some help with this outside of you know, no trading. I know you're doing this public adjusting stuff. Can you help us? For their insurance claim, they were under deductible by like a hundred thousand. They had seven hundred thousand dollar deductible. And I gave it to my husband's firm. And my commission on the total settlement was, you know, it was it was like in the, the six figures. And I was just like, okay. Like I'm sold. You can never make that much money in corporate America on one deal, you know? So that, that moment was it for me. It made it real for you, right? Correct. The money in the bank made it real. Okay. So now we, we've got it. When I made the check and the concept, were there any challenges? Like, I mean, you've talked about a number of different things that you had to do And mainly you said, get over yourself, but were there challenges with 
being out in what I call the wild? Of course, I means so many. So I have obviously a little bit different of a perspective that I think maybe more women would relate to, like especially being in a business in any sense with the person, your spouse, your partner, there are struggles of power struggles, right? Like who's, who does this? Who does that? It's funny because we're both Scorpios. So, and I'm not so big on the whole horoscope thing, but like, I do believe that to a degree, like we are all kind of have the traits that they say our signs have, right? So we're very similar and we definitely butt heads. So it's, it's the balance of finding your lane, right? So that I guess can pertain to whether you're working with your spouse or just being on your own, because you have to manage how you deal with your clients in a new way. How do you get business? Are you a marketer? Are you not? I think that was the biggest challenge for me was finding my lane. But there's so many, right? There, there's so many challenges. And it's also terrifying. And, and I think it's lonely at the top, which you are essentially at the top when you're on your own. It, you're the, 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 the leader. It's lonely and, and you have to stay on. You have to stay on target, on point. You can't let people bring you down. You know, people will always be there to tell you you're crazy. What are you doing? Go get a job. You know, there's so many things. My God, I could go on forever. <laughs> so what was the worst fear that you had in the process and how'd you overcome it? I think the worst fear was that this isn't going to work. I'm not going to be able to succeed. But I, I will admit that there's a constant circle of self-doubt, right? You're always doubting, like, is this working? Is this going to work? What if this fails? So, so I think you, it comes in waves. So I got over it because I realized you just have to stick to your guns and keep going. But I, I do think you're always going to have those moments of doubting. I think you're absolutely right. So I appreciate you being transparent on that because a lot of people try to pretend like, oh, yeah, it's all good all the time. And <laughs> no. So I don't know the way you've told this story. I'm scared to ask this question because I don't know. <laughs> I'm scared to answer. Uh-oh. <laughs> ever a point when everything was on the line? Like, was there a rock bottom for you? You know, it, it's interesting I, I really think that I made this, this crazy decision during the last recession to change my career direction completely. So what's funny is I'm actually going to be coming out with a book. It's a woman's guide to job seeking during the COVID era. And it's really just examples of exactly what I went through in the last recession. And a lot of it is really based around having the ability to change your direction because you have to see like where things are going to be going and like what's going to continue to thrive. So I think my rock bottom was probably when I started my career. It's a little bit backwards <laughs> because I originally like wanted to be a child advocate and like, you know, be an attorney and, and do that kind of legal practice life for, you know, be an attorney for, for my career. And I, I ended up completely changing that. And then it was only because of what was presented to me. And then that now I'm a property lover. I like it. Yeah. A lot. So you were a high performer in the old world. Has there been anything or anybody trying to pull you back? And how'd you defeat it if they did? 
So I think everyone is always trying to hold you back, especially people who are not really your friends, but maybe in your circles. Most people don't really like to see other people succeed, right? So I know that I love to see people succeed. And I always like try to support people who are doing new things and starting out on their own because I know how nice it is to have even just a couple people supporting you. It's tremendous value to have that and just pure kindness, right? I think I can't say one person or one thing in specific where I felt someone was really trying to bring me down. But I think that people are always out to get you when you're making it happen. Big bad wolf. I call it the boogeyman. Do you have a lot of people that are trying to take you down or that have? No. Right. So for me, I live in this bubble. <laughs> right. The only way to get in the bubble is somebody that's in the bubble saying it's okay for you to come in the bubble. Right. That's smart. It is smart in some ways, but so I had to build it because I lack discernment. Like I view the world in a way that I think everything is happening for me. And I think people wouldn't come into my world with the hope of hurting me or harming me or doing something negative. It's not true. I know it's not true, but that's the way that I look at the world. And so in order to protect myself, once the people get in, then I don't want to worry about or look over my shoulder or wonder about them. And they protect those relationships the same way. Right. Well, like I said before, it's lonely at the top. Yeah, it's it's very isolating. And you tend to rely on people probably more than you should. Right. You've got so many eggs and so few baskets, but it's the only way that I've been able to find sanity. And right. so I work through it. Right. What is the biggest difference in the way that you live your life today? Oh my gosh. So it's funny, you know, I think I did have this opinion that I would work less being out of corporate America. And it's definitely not true. I work way more now. But it is way more rewarding and way more fruitful. And the biggest difference is that I actually make my own decisions and I'm able to add value in my cool opinions on things, right? Or my vision with something. In corporate America, they don't care about your vision. They don't care about how you think something should be done, right? It's kind of just like get in line and do it. So I appreciate that like I can be creative when it comes to a business deal, when it comes to a new client, when it comes to how our sales team is presenting themselves. It's all just so much more rewarding because it's for you. I like that. I like that a lot. Stephanie, what are you most grateful for? I think I'm most grateful for my experience during the recession. So I think... When you start out as an adult in like this crazy time, like sure, there have been crazier times in the world than the Great Recession, right? But it was a crazy time. So I had so many friends, family members, you know, watch businesses crumble that were affected by this whole situation. And then I was successful. And most of my friends were moving back home after college. You know, they were doctors, they were nurses, they went the long road and did did the, the thing that I didn't, which was go to law school, right. So 
I got to learn so much about kind of school being a sham. Money doesn't really make you. All of this was my experience from like probably the worst time in my life, unless COVID will be, you know, in terms of an economy. But I feel like I'm fully, and I think a lot of people from my generation who had similar experiences would feel the same. Like we're fully equipped to like pretty much handle anything. You got to be bendable. And I don't know that I would be so adaptable and bendable and and positive uh, if I hadn't had that experience. Ooh, that's a mature perspective. I love it. <laughs> the the recession aged me. <laughs> that is so cool. We're coming to the end. We've got a, three questions left. Okay. Something that forces me to break the rules and ask more. And so the first one is what dream are you most focused on catching next? So I think one of my my next dreams is actually getting more into real estate. It's funny to tie these two together, but I think it's also creating a family. So I think they're like neck and neck, but I do think the real estate thing is going to come first because I, I want to focus more on my footing before I actually go that route because I know that I'm going to want to work in different ways when I have kids and a family. So yeah, I think it's maybe breaking more into the multifamily stuff. Ooh, ooh, I know a guy who can help. Yes, you do. (laughs) What gift are you giving the world? I think it's gonna be kindness. I'm gonna go with that. And I'm gonna go with my hashtag is totally gonna be be kind. Why? Well, first of all, my new last name, which is Suskind, actually means sweet child. And it has K-I-N-D at the end. (laughs) Um, No. And and also, uh, my husband's uh, relative is a guy named Walter Suskind, who we did some research on. And he actually saved, like, thousands of children during the Holocaust. So it's it's really cool because sweet child and then uh, savior of children and be kind. It, it's all relevant for me. But I think kindness is one of those things that makes a difference and you don't even realize it, right? So I've had a lot of really nasty people in my life. I had a difficult upbringing. I had a mother who was very resentful of me. And I think I found that with a little bit of kindness – you can like just ignore all of the chaos sometimes. You know, maybe I did more than others could. I don't know how that happened for me, but I just try to be nice to everybody. I always find that everyone I I encounter has something that's beautiful about them. And I always try to have faith in humanity, even though I have been told time and time again from experiences that I shouldn't. (laughs) I think it's all about kindness. I think we need it right now. So that's the gift I'm trying to give the world. No, I think you are giving it to the world. And I want to affirm you for doing that. I think we need more kindness. I think we need more understanding. I think we need to see the humanity in each other because I think that is the root cause for a lot of the issues that we have here in America today. So thank you for being an example of that change and exemplifying it on a high level and showing that you can be rewarded, especially financially, by doing that type of stuff. It's really interesting. You made the pivot from being somebody who's taking things away from the little guy to making sure that the little guy is actually getting what they deserve. Exactly. 
that right there allows you to be in alignment with your values and makes what you're doing more rewarding and so on and so forth. So Stephanie, thank you so much for that. Yeah, thank you. And I, I find you to be also very kind. And I, I think it's great to also just kind of collaborate with other people who have that, you know? It makes the world a better place for sure. I, I certainly enjoy the people I work with on a daily basis more than when I had a job without. <laughs> and so the final question. Okay. What's the one thing you want people to take away from our talk? I think that, you know, I love going deep. Like I went a little deep there. I touched on some things. I think the main thing is we all have issues, (laughs) right? But at the end of the day, being on your own and learning how to make an income, whether it be in real estate or whatever your passion is, you're better off on your own than with corporate America. And, you know, if you surround yourself with the right people, that you can make it happen. You just have to have faith in yourself. And also make sure you have insurance when you buy properties or you'll be in big trouble and someone like me will not be able to help you if you have property damage issues. <laughs> I love it. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on the Dreamcatchers podcast. Thank look, you for having me. I look forward to continuing to develop our relationship and I look forward to seeing you grow in multifamily and all the other things that are in your bright future. Thank you so much. And I look forward to coming to you for the the multifamily lessons. Awesome. I'm excited. We'll talk soon. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.